Welcome to Uncontained, episode 14, with comedian Josh Cabaza. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and today on the show, well, a little disclaimer, there's a little bit of background noise. All right, quite a bit, but it fits in with the guest. Yes, Josh hosts a podcast called Daddy No, and he does it with his three, almost four-year-old son, and he's kind of running around talking about a magic wand, which he calls the monkey wand, and he has a fire and ice power wand and everything, too. So you'll hear him shouting and screaming and uh, power punching one of his friends in the background as well. So you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear his son throughout the show. Josh talks about some of the times where he's bombed on stage and stories of building the comedy scene in San Antonio. And uh, we get talking about politics as well and how crazy things could be if Trump ends up getting elected. Josh is a very funny and entertaining guest with a lot to say. So let's get this show started with comedian and podcast host Josh Cabaza. How's it going, Josh? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on, man. So want to tell uh, my audience a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure, not a problem. Uh, I'm a comedian out of San Antonio. Um, been doing it about six years now. And I know that sounds like oxymoron comedian out of San Antonio. Because everyone's like, who the hell came out of San Antonio? Uh, pretty much nobody. But that's all right. Uh, maybe I'll be one of the, the first. You know, I shouldn't say nobody. A comic named Rick Gutierrez who opens up for Fluffy is out there who, who's been on uh, Comedy Central and stuff like that. Uh, as far as what I do as a day job, I don't have one. I'm a stay-at-home father, and uh, I just started that. I put my wife through uh, occupational therapy, so now she's making big bucks and is uh, dumb enough to let me live my dream. So that's <laughs> right on, man. Right on. And uh, you want to introduce the voice in the background. It's a common voice on your show. Yeah, that's my son. Uh, he's three, about to be four. Uh, he doesn't have Asperger's or anything like that. He's just nuts. Uh, <laughs> so he might come in and say stuff like monkey wand and ice powers and then just, uh, yeah, just yell. A lot of yelling. Monkey wand? What is a monkey wand? I've heard it on your show a couple times, but I just want to get it straight from you. All right. So apparently I thought he was saying monkey wand the whole time, right? Apparently my wife was trying to tell me he's saying magic wand. But now he actually says monkey wand, and uh, <laughs> he has three spatulas that he keeps with him, a black spatula, a red one, and a blue one. Uh, the blue one's ice powers, the red one's fire, and the black one is the monkey wand, which he carries around. And uh, he, the monkey wand is to help do mental powers over you. So when I'm like, hey, it's time to take a bath, he gets the monkey wand and then starts to shake violently like he's trying to possess you. And then he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I hope. I hope this is normal. I hope this is okay. Oh, man, that that's hilarious, dude. I bet uh, get a lot of material from uh, your son. Oh, yeah, that's why I had children, just for material. And your podcast is Daddy No, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's, got, it's got to be said like Daddy that. Daddy No. Right? <laughs> All right, so I heard a story that you were saying on your podcast about your son used the monkey wand on a dog? Uh, no, uh, what happened was he used... Uh, the monkey wand to help his imaginary friend who passed away uh, from ice powers is what happened. Okay, I thought some like there was a dog barking or something that. I mean, I might have just added stuff like that, but that's his story. His story is his friend died of ice powers. The only thing that could bring him back is the monkey wand, which makes sense because he's using his mental powers 
through the monkey one. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. That makes sense. All right, all right. Yes, that makes complete monkey wand sense here. <laughs> and and I've, I've... <laughs> what wand was that? No, he did a super punch. Uh, uh, one of my best friends, Roman, is here. So uh, he's uh, fighting him right now because that's what he does. He thinks my friends are, are large people that he's supposed to fight. All right, right on, man, right on. So is are your kids the reason why you're – a podcast at home is so different from your stand up on stage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't. Uh, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to get used to uh, my comedy is completely different. I, I, it's pretty vulgar. Um, I had a big tendency of cussing a lot, so this was more. This is my thought process. I didn't do it because I thought, oh man, I'm gonna get a bunch of people to listen to me. And I want to hear them hear my podcast. I thought of it more the aspect of, you know, it'd be cool is when my son's like 15, 16 years old and I show him this. I'm like, hey, me and you used to podcast and I have something to, to show him. Be like, look how nuts you were. You know, so that's the kind of the audience is for him, for him, for him uh, when he's older. So that, that okay. thought process mine. Because I, I, I do another podcast with uh, two friends of mine. Um, and that's MGB podcast, and that's another podcast I do, and that's more like it's two hours long. Uh, the reason I only do thirty minutes is because that's all the attention I can really give. After thirty minutes, he's either hungry or my daughter wakes up or something like that. So that's why I keep it short. But and it was just for something for him for years from now that he can look back on and be like, "Hey, that's cool that my dad used to do that with me." All right, yeah, that that is pretty awesome, and uh, so. The podcast is mainly for your kid, and the stand-up is for you. Oh, yeah. The stand-up is definitely, uh, for me, it's very, it's narcissistic. It's uh, it's something that um, I did six years ago. Um, I've always wanted to do it, actually, uh, but I never had the balls to. And then I, um, one night, I took too many Vicodin, and uh, I almost died. And after that, I woke up and I was a different person. I was like, screw this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna do stand-up. And then before that, I actually wrote for a year while I lived in Austin. Okay. I would go to the open mics and i chicken out and I'd drive back home. For a whole year, I did that. Wow. Uh, so were you writing before you took too many Vicodin? Yeah. Uh, what happened was uh, I always had back problems, but I was playing basketball. Dude hooked me, shattered my lower disc. And uh, I had bad sciatica. And so instead of surgery, which would have fixed it right away, the doctors decided to give me a bunch of pills. Like they were like, the Vicodin wasn't working after a while. They're like, we can give you Oxycontin. I was like, no, nah, you can keep your hillbilly heroin. I'm not going to yeah. take that. And uh, one night after working a 16-hour shift selling gym memberships, um, I had already taken like eight Vicodin a day. And... I was taking Adderall to keep me awake because you take so much Vicodin. And that night, I didn't give a damn. And I took a Vicodin. I chugged a 24. I rolled up a blunt, put a bar in it, smoked it. And then my heart skipped a beat. And then I went to tell my wife or girlfriend at the time. And right when I was going to go tell her, I passed out on the bed. And I woke up 14 hours later. I thought I was dead. And then I just took all my pills, all my drugs, and I flushed it down the toilet. And after that, I, like, changed. And I was like, I'm going to do, do stand-up. I'm going to do this. And that's what kind of changed me, which is weird because my friends that I do stand up with, the ones I'm really close with, have some type of similar story about psychedelics or drugs and the reason why they do comedy. Really? Yeah. 
That's interesting. And I wouldn't just take the Adderall pill. I'd take out the powder and like put it on my tongue so it hit me quicker because uh, I needed to work. Right on, man. That's that's quite the way to get into comedy. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, shit, it got you, got you started. My starting comedy was a little bit different. I uh, got a shot from a local comedian to get on stage, and I just basically ripped off all my radio material <laughs> and took it to the stage, nice. like making fun of all the bands I made fun of and all that stuff. So I was like, I didn't write anything new for this, but here you go. Nice. Definitely different, huh? A little bit. So uh, what is the um, scene like in San Antonio? Uh, um, San Antonio, it's a very underground scene. And what, when I say underground, I mean people don't know about it. Uh, <laughs> you can get up every night. That's the great thing about San Antonio. Monday through Sunday, there's an open mic every night. Some nights you can get up four or five times a night. Um, that's because there's open mics with bands and, and, and poetry. But if you're looking for straight stand-up, uh, we got two comedy clubs uh, or – two legit comedy clubs and then we got an underground comedy club so i mean i go up anywhere between on a slow week i'll do five open mics but on most weeks i do about 12 so i'll do the five open mics plus another seven shows those are all-star shows at the improv downtown we also have a laugh out loud comedy club and a club that me and five other friends started called the blind tiger comedy club which is a great comedy club uh, not just because we started it, but because uh, it's a cool room. A lot of New York comics compare it to The Stand. Um, it only fits 70 people. It's in a basement, which is weird for San Antonio because nobody has basements. Um, and uh, Hannibal Burris went performed there. Ian Baggs went performed there. So a, a bunch of different comics from New York and L.A. have gone down there and done time, which is great. And it's a, it's a good mix of... Uh, a bunch of good Texas comics down there. And it's it's more of the, I don't like saying alternative scene because alternative makes it seem, it's just, you can be a little bit quirkier down there and, and be and be a little bit more, um, uh, how can I say it? You, you can really just experiment down there. Okay, all right. But I like Kind of a free ground to try out new material. Correct. And, uh, you know, maybe some stuff that might not work in the two main clubs in the city. Well, it, it, the three clubs are different because down there you got younger crowd, college students, a little bit more savvy of a crowd. Then you go downtown. Those are all your tourists. So there's people from all over the world. I don't know. San Antonio is actually one of the uh, biggest tourist cities in the country. So there's people from all over the country, plus Europe, plus uh, Japan and stuff like that. And then Laugh Out Loud, which is the big club, uh, that's mostly San Antonio, so local people. So you get a mixture of all three, so that's good. And, uh, I mean, I get to do sets anywhere between 5 to 30 minutes. And I go up, you know, an average of 9 to 10 times a week. So I'm getting good time. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, so it's just working on my material, honing my skills and stuff like that. That's awesome that you can get up that many times in one week in your area. It took a while to do that. Uh, there was no scene here. But um, when I got in in 2010, I started putting on a bunch of shows and open mic and people followed suit. And so now we got a we got a good following here. How did you get to the point where you opened up your own room? Uh, Blind Tiger, you said? Blind Tiger. Uh, actually, a guy uh, just started. His name is Jay White Cotton. Uh, he started it. He found the room. And then he brought me and five other comics along. He was like, hey, help me promote because San Antonio, for some reason was very clickish it's like no i'm the best in san antonio which is very stupid to say because 
the best in San Antonio still is in San Antonio. Nobody knows who you are. You're nobody. Why are you trying to fight with each other? Um, so what we did is we got together, and the whole thing was uh, it was all the room over ego. And uh, we just we, we got together, and we hustled. And for the first year, the shows were like four, five people a show. And we just kept doing it. And then all of a sudden, we had the room packed out. And what was great was it fits only 70. 70 people would be jammed in there. 20 people would leave. And another 20 people waiting upstairs would fill their spot. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a great room. And it would start at midnight and go all the way past 2 in the morning. And, I mean, it's been going strong for this long. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a great room. It's my favorite room. Uh, my, I started at Laugh Out Loud, but I say the Blind Tire Comedy Club is my home club. Awesome, dude. Awesome. So I'll definitely have to check that out if I make it down to San Antonio. I've been to San Antonio once, and I do remember the Alamo. <laughs> uh, but uh, so cool, man. You got a lot going on there. Um, obviously, with being on stage so much, trying out new material, you have to bomb some. What's your biggest bombing experience? Um, I've had, oh, I'll tell you two. My worst bomb was three months in. Uh, I went down. I'm originally from the Rio Grande Valley. For those of you who don't know that, Sid, it's a bottom four county. It's a Texas. Think South Padre Island. So there's a town called McAllen, and it's a historical theater called Cine Rey. Uh, it's a packed out audience. It's uh, 150 people in there, right? I got a three-minute guest spot. That How can you screw up a three-minute guest spot? You know what I mean? So I go up there, and I tell my first joke. And my first joke was a dumb joke. It's about something about shake weights very homophobic. Well, there's a group of lesbians, and not just regular lesbians. Like, I'm talking about bull dyke lesbians. Like, I will kill you. <laughs> Flannel and all. Yes. And they stand up, and they start cussing at me. Like, you can cuss on here, right? That's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're like, fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck you. I don't know how to handle that, right? So I start cussing at them back. Shut the fuck down. You shut your mouth, right? Audience gets tight. They kick them out, right? So once they leave, I start doing my set. I do my second joke, audience is tight, no laughs. I do my third joke, audience is still tight, no laughs. I start talking on my fourth joke, my voice starts to shake, shake, shake a little bit, and <laughs> shake, and my leg, I couldn't help it. My leg just started going crazy, like I got Parkinson's, shaking hard, and I sit down, and I turn red, and I'm my whole body is shaking hard, and I turn to the MC, and I go, get me off the stage. And he comes up and he gets me off the stage and I get off and I'm walking up. And as I'm walking up the theater, people are literally moving away from me. Like they're not even close to me. They're sitting in their seats, but it was like splitting the, the Red Sea. They just moved. And he's like tearing me a new one while he's on stage. And I'm, while I'm on there, it was weird. It was like slow motion. All I hear is, oh, 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 like the audience laughing. Oh, man. My cousin and my best friend were there. And they both were like, hey, what's up, son? They were, I thank you. They were both there. See, I told you. Just, uh, but they were both, they were both there. And they were both like, dude, we need to leave now. I want to vomit. I don't know how to handle this. I want to vomit. And I was like, no, we're going to stand right here. And I was like right at the front bar. And people were still feeling awkward around me. And then after like two minutes, it's like, all right, let's go. We can leave. So that was the worst vomit I ever had. And... I thought after that, instead of being like, I should quit, I thought, well, it can't get any worse than this. 
Uh, it has gotten worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten worse than that? Yeah, it's gotten worse than that, where uh, the owner of a bar, uh, they got me real drunk, and it was a there was only two people in the audience, and uh, I dropped the mic twice, and he yelled at me and said, get the fuck out of here, get out of my establishment now for dropping the mic. And uh, I was like, okay, okay, I'll leave. Just let me finish this joke. And then I didn't even tell a joke. I was just like, all right, so this guy hates me. You guys suck. Uh, I, I didn't get paid. Uh, suck my balls. I'm out. Bye. And I left. Did you drop the mic again? No, I should have, but I did <laughs> Fuck you all. I'm out. I thought they were going to fight me, so I didn't drop the mic. Uh, but the last time I bombed was, um, uh, yeah, last week. Thank you. My wife is here. She's like, remember you telling me about that? You cried about it all? I bombed in Austin. And I talked about this on my last podcast. Um, I've been doing a lot of bar shows. I did like Laredo on Cinco de Mayo, which is, if you know where Laredo is, it's a border. Isn't that right on the border? Yeah. On Cinco de Mayo with two white guys who went before me. And they're like, <laughs> no offense, but they were like really, really white. And they were like, they were like, like one looked like Hitler's youth. And his talk, he's just like, what's your favorite race? He actually asked the audience that. Really? <laughs> Is he going to help Trump build the wall? Or? No, right? I was like, no. Uh, and so uh, I did 25 minutes, that, but I had to fight the audience. And so I've been experiencing a lot of these bar shows because I'm trying to make a living out of it. So they're like, hey, you know, we'll pay you 100 bucks, 150 bucks to do this show. And it's a horrible show. It is not a comedy crowd. They don't want to hear comedy that you're just doing a show there, right? So yeah. fighting the audience. So I go to Austin. Austin's not like that. Austin's like, we love you. We want to hear your stories and we appreciate you. And I'm not used to that. And so yeah. Yeah, Austin's like the typical college town, right? Like kind of like a Berkeley or whatever kind of where keep it strange, keep it weird. It is. It is. They they got they got real tight on me when I said I was like, you know. Because it's the only major city that's growing that's actually losing a black population. The only city in America that's doing that. So they got weird when I said, you don't mean keep Austin weird. You mean keep Austin white. And they, <laughs> they kind of tightened up. But it, I mean, I laughed about it. Uh, but the, the, the last I told a joke, I was doing OK. What happened was it was seven, eight comedians went before me. I was the last comedian. And the crowd went from 30 to seven. Like, I guess they were just comedied out. They're like, we're done. And so there's seven people in the audience, and I'm already like, oh, man, whatever. All right, I'm used to this. So I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. And then I tell a joke about naming my daughter after ISIS. Not the not the uh, terrorist, but the Egyptian goddess ISIS. And I go on with the joke, right, and they just tightened up on me because they people hear trigger words. I've learned this in comedy. It's trigger words. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They're not taking the context. They're taking the trigger word. Yeah, uh, they tied up on me, and when they tied up on me, I got mad, and I started to kind of attack them. And uh, when I attacked them, they got really tight, and I and I bombed bad. Like they were just like, "Why is he doing this to me? We love you. We want to hear you. We want to be on your side." And I didn't. <laughs> I just started being an asshole. I was an asshole, and that's one thing I'm learning is with. With, with shows like that or audiences like that, you can't attack them. You just kind of got to be like, oh, you not not say I'm sorry, but you can make fun of them and be sarcastic. But when you're really uh, brash like that, they just they turn off. They're, they don't know how to handle handle it. It's like you're literally going to get in a fight. And I'm like, I'm not going to fight seven people. But they feel that way. Like, oh, he's too aggressive. 
So. Yeah, yeah, I I can understand that completely. Uh, do you run into that a lot down in uh, down in San Antonio, or just mainly like Austin? Austin. Well, no, actually, um, not bragging, but that's the first time I bombed in Austin. I love doing shows in Austin because I can do my material. Uh, they laugh at inflections. I've noticed because I'm in my I'm in my setup and they're laughing at the setup, and I'm like, why do they laugh at that? And, I, and I'm one of those people where I listen to my recordings again and again and again and again to hear just the little nuances, the inflections, where you know the cadence and stuff like that. And I yeah, that because I get laughs, I can soak out a just ring out a joke. In San Antonio is different. In San Antonio it's like we hate you. We don't like that you're doing comedy. I hope you fucking fail. Like, that's the kind of crowds you're going against. The only way to get famous in San Antonio is to leave, get famous, and come back. That is the only way, because they're not supporting your ass because you're a nobody, uh, which I like. It's like it, it's like almost being in an abusive relationship where you don't really know what love is. And so <laughs> you're just used to be like, oh, they just hit me because they love me. <laughs> so that's what you're used to. And so it, it, it's hard adjusting to other to other cities who are uh, supportive of their local comedians. I can just picture you on the stage like, I'll change them. There's a really good crowd in them somewhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, back to what you were talking about that happened in Austin that one time where they were like getting on you for, you know, um, calling things out. It was like when I came out here, I moved out to California from Iowa. All right. And uh, comedy and humor amongst friends is completely different in Iowa, all right? It's more closer to, say, East Coast, where you call your best friends assholes and jackasses and everything like that, all right? It's like, hey, what's up, Dick? How you doing? And that means you like somebody. Right. Uh, but I come out here, and, like, I went up on stage in Berkeley at this open mic in some uh, coffee-slash-pizza joint and uh, I was talking about people always asking if I have culture shock out here. I'm like, the only thing that's really giving me culture shock is seeing bum shit in the street. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't see that back home. You saw a bum pissing in a corner every now and again. But, you know, just seeing bum shit in the street, that, that kind of was a little shocking. And afterwards, even though they laughed, somebody came up to me and was like, you know that whole part about uh, the guy shitting in the street? It had been a whole lot funnier if you said homeless instead of bums. Yeah. And I was like, no, dude, really? Are you serious? I, that, I, then I said that was kind of retarded. And then he got mad at me for saying retarded. And I, I just walked away after that. I call that new school racism because you're just changing a word. It does not change the definition. So when you come out and you say it like that, you're making yourself go out of the way to not be racist, which in my eyes makes you more racist. But because I'm supposedly, quote unquote, Latino or Hispanic or Mexican, like it, 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 people will listen to me a little bit more, which annoys me more. Like, especially the with the cultural appropriation. Sorry for getting on my soapbox. No, that's all right. Preach away, man. <laughs> for the cultural appropriation, it's just like, well, you're not Hispanic, so there's no way you should wear a poncho. And it's just like, okay, so only Latinos should wear a poncho. Is that what you're telling me? So that means that if I wear a polo shirt and some, uh, you know, Banana Republic jeans, I'm, uh, that's wrong cultural appropriation because I'm trying to be something that I'm not. I'm trying to be white or something. It makes me mad when people do that. It's like you're going out of your way to not be racist, which is making you completely racist bigot. 
And when you call somebody a racist bigot, they get very uncomfortable, which I'm not used to. I'm used to like yeah. calling stuff out, and uh, and a lot of people were not used to that. So that, in a way, it's it's uh, like where I grew up, it was ninety eight percent ninety eight percent Hispanic. Wow. So to real, and where so what's to, it at? Where you're at now? It's just still to compare Hispanic, but I went to school in in uh, San Marcos, uh, Texas State University, which is like eighty five percent white. And so they let I had my first class because the only reason I got in was because I was Hispanic. They needed more minorities. Uh, <laughs> but I had to take a class telling me how hard it was because I was a minority and and being told the statistics on how many don't graduate because of poor education. And it made me mad. I was like, I, I don't subscribe to that. I don't care if you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, we're American and don't don't give me that don't give me that like it it pisses me off and so it's weird to be considered a, a minority coming from a place where the whole my whole life i've been a majority so there's my soap yeah i hope you enjoyed that folks i did man amen man and for the um you know, Mexicans can only wear ponchos and sombreros yeah. and stuff like that. I've heard heard somebody got in trouble for that recently. Uh, and who, where does the big belt buckle and the cowboy hat lie? Does it ro- ro- lie with the uh, redneck or does it lie with like the the true Mexican? Those, well, both. It's both. Like, who's being racist there? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. It just depends where you're from and what type of belt buckle and hat it is because uh, there's two Texas to live in. You can live in North Texas, which is your yeehaw and all that. And then there's the South Texas, which is more of your grito, which is the Mexicans where you hear do that. And uh, it's, 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 uh, it's two different types of Texas. So it just depends where you're from. And the belt buckles look different. The hats are pretty much the same. And the boots are a little different. <laughs> I've seen the redneck. Uh, I've seen the redneck belt buckles, but uh, how? I guess I never really paid attention to the difference in belt buckles. What's different about them? One's bigger. One's more stylish. Okay. All right. All right. So is it the man that damn dare one over there the see, the bigger one? See, and that's more southern. That's more southern redneck. I wouldn't even consider Texans as rednecks. I would consider them uh, not even hillbillies. They're just just Texan because the Texan gonna talk real <laughs> slow so you understand them so it's cold damn it bobby yeah yeah it's, it's more more like that instead of instead of the boom hour like everybody over there, over there. <laughs> boom hour it's the real slow which is funny because the mexicans from san uh, from from texas also talk slow compared to the spanish that's in mexico so it's uh it's it's also different it's just a a slower draw yeah Huh, interesting. And you escaped having that draw? Uh, or... no, I, well, actually, I went to college, and everybody told me I had an accent, so I worked my ass off to not have an accident. Accent, but every once in a while, it does come out, and I can't help it, and my wife calls it out. Because <laughs> she's from Houston, so she doesn't have any accent at all. And I, I mean, it's, I, and I hate doing this, but I've, I've done it before. I'm just like, you know, uh, just like, I'm going to go take a shower. And then she's like, a what? <laughs> shower i said shower she's like you said shower i was like no i said shower so then i'm gonna go put on some new shoes yeah, i hate it i hate it. it's out uh but the only part that bugs me is when people are like you have an accent 
because I'll say something like taco or, you know, something like that or San Marcos or San Antonio. I'll say something like that. And people are like, oh, you have an accent. I'm like, no, I'm saying the word, how it's pronounced. But, I mean, I guess you can say I have an accent. No, yeah. Like, what's funny, though, I, I work with somebody who is uh, from uh, Texas, and he he ha- doesn't really have an accent until he says certain words. Like, not even just – I'm not talking about, like, his Latin words, Spanish words, anything like that. I'm talking about, like, he says theater, like theater, <laughs> and, but then goes right back to talking like normal. It's like – Man, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, speaking of, well, all right, that that just went nowhere with that uh, <laughs> that uh, transition. Uh, let's let's <laughs> talk about bombing on a podcast. I did it. Uh, with you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for rolling along with the punches. Um, what about we talked about building the wall, like in uh, when you were talking about the comedian that you did a show with on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Uh, what is your stand on the politics going on right now, this circus in the media? I'm more of a, a political atheist, conspiracy theorist. So I agree with every. Nobody agrees with me pretty much. Uh, I got half my family is Republican. The other half is Democrat. So I've always dealt with this two sides. And I'm like, you guys understand you're, you're two sides of the same coin. Uh, they pick your leaders for you. I've been always been on that stance. And they think I'm I'm insane for saying stuff like that. As far as who's coming out, uh, again, not a political analyst. I did work for a large lobbyist for a while, which really let me see inside politics. Hey, son, we're talking politics right now. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> came and gave me a big chokehold. But um, uh, I, I'll, I'll come out and say it. Uh, as far as Trump goes, um, he scares the shit out of me. Not because I think he's lying, but because I think he's telling the truth. Um, some stuff he says, I'm like, yeah. And then he just goes overboard when he's just like, the 12 million illegals are out. And I'm like, that scares the shit out of me. Because that means, in my mind, civil war. Because I put in the context, I'm like, like I'm a, I'm a native Texan. Like My family was here before, when Texas was Texas, that my family was here. So I'm a okay. native Texan. Um, so... Um, like when, but I think like if my grandma was from Mexico and he was just like, you're go, I'm sending her back and she hasn't lived there since she was like 18. I'm like, I'm fighting. I'm literally going to fight for her because that's my grandma and she helped raise me. There's no fucking way you're taking her away. So it's not 12 million people you're trying to port. It's going to be 45 million people you're fighting, which is a civil war, which is insane to me. You know what I mean? That's the part where it gets me with Trump. I don't really think he's a racist, but I think he's uh, trying to – he's going for the hate factor. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of anger, and uh, he's really delving into it. And so he knows what he's doing. Uh, A lot of people call him dumb. I don't think he's dumb. I think he's smart. He knows how to make outlandish comments and get away with them. A dumb person can't – Yeah, a dumb person can't do that. So uh, and then New Gingrich came out and said some crazy stuff like um, I have it on one of my podcasts. You can listen to <laughs> plugging my podcast. Shameless. Uh, <laughs> Do it. Shamelessly plug it. Daddy, no. <laughs> Gingrich came out and said the reason the establishment does not like Donald Trump is because he's not part of the secret societies. He has not done the initiations. He said this on Fox News, which I was like, whoa, 
Like they're just showing their cards now. Uh, Hillary, um, uh, I'm all down for having a woman president, but I wouldn't vote for somebody for being just a woman. And a lot of people are like, well, she's very highly qualified. Like, yeah, for the elitist. I don't trust her at all, at all. Uh, I like Bernie Sanders, and I'm, a, I'm more of a libertarian, and he's a socialist, a democratic socialist, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But I, just because he said two things, he said uh, that he wants to get, he wants to get rid of the IRS. He wants to um, audit the Federal Reserve, and he wants to stop these wars. Now, that to me, I don't care what you say. You can be a Marxist. If you say that, I'm down with you. I like. He reminds me of uh, what Ron Paul was to uh, Republicans. He is to Democrats. And so that's why I liked uh, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Ron Paul actually ran on the Libertarian ticket last time, didn't he? No, oh, wait, he ran. Or was it? He he ran on the Republican ticket, but was more of a Libertarian. Yeah, he he was. He was sorry, to get out. He was definitely more. Uh, he's always been Libertarian, and in fact, um, he was Libertarian, ran Republican, and Bernie Sanders was Independent and ran uh, Democrat. Uh, now, whether or not he can win. I don't know. Uh, Schultz came out also on one of my podcasts. I put Schultz came out and said the reason that they have super delegates is so independents can't come in and take over the DNC. She said that. I was like, wow, you just coming out and laying out your cards. Why you have super delegates? Like that was that. Wow. That actually is why they were put in place. Yeah. Like, but it was for like back shortly after, I think, our Revolutionary War. So, like, somebody from Britain couldn't come in and end up running to... And... I thought Super Delegates were put in the 70s. I don't know. I may be talking on my ass. I heard that somewhere, <laughs> and I was just repeating it, trying to sound smart, man. I could be wrong. That's one thing as a... I don't know. A, it was some guy on the corner shouting shit out <laughs> with, a can, with a can asking for change. He's like, they put the Super Delegates in the system! <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, no, like... I take every. I mean, everything that I, I, I just like I said, I'm quote unquote a conspiracy theorist. I uh, thank you, son. I take everything I say with a, with with a grain of salt because I'm like, I'm getting my stuff secondhand from a dude who said that. So what do I really know? I'm not part of the CIA. I'm not part of the FBI. I don't really know what's going on, but I do feel that there is definitely a globalist agenda to to get things done. I mean, if I was super rich and wealthy, that's what I would do. So. Yeah. And okay. What do you think on this? Uh, my, here's my take on Trump and why he's so successful in getting to where he has so far. It's this over politically correctness, the new racism, as you called it. Everybody is like afraid to say anything because, um, because somebody will jump down their throat for it. And Trump is the anti that. Correct. You're going to have a subculture for everything that you have. And I think that's what you have right now. You have Hillary Clinton represents the status quo, the PC culture. And Donald Trump is the exact opposite. And those are the two that are probably going to end up running against each other to see who wins. Which is funny because my conspiracy theory before that was that Hillary and, and, and Bill got Donald Trump because they were friends before to run to destroy the Republican Party. That was my theory at first. And I was like, there's no way. Well, the shit he's saying. And now I'm thinking I was wrong. 
Yeah, I I was expecting, you know, Donald Trump to be like a flash in the pan, like run it and eventually just bow out. But no, I did not expect him to have all the support that he has right now. But the GOP screwed up. They went they wanted to have Jeb as their as their person. I'm like, another Bush? You idiots. That's how disconnected they are. They thought they can get away with another Bush. And when they couldn't get Bush, they went to Rubio. And when Rubio didn't work, they are like, oh, fuck, we got to go with Ted. And then Ted, apparently, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. So, And everybody in that Republican like group that was running, to me, is batshit crazy. But uh, 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 I, You know what? I did like... Rand Paul, but only because of okay, the yes. of Ron. I like Ron Paul. He was no Ron Paul. A lot of the stuff he said, I'm like, I don't agree with you. But just because you're his son, I'll be like, ah, oh, which could be uh, complete bullshit because that's like being like, oh, well, you're Bush's son, so I guess I'll like you. You know what I mean? So yeah, like like how we got that one president. Yeah, yeah. So, <sighs> dude, the whole the whole political thing is is messed up right now and right. hopefully I'm 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 with you. I'm hoping that Bernie Sanders pulls it out and um you know somehow get some of those super delegates back from from Hillary Clinton. The only way that happens is if Hillary gets indicted by the FBI, which I don't think will happen because Obama will not let that happen. So it'll probably be Hillary versus Trump. And what scares me is that Trump wins that. And Trump has already said if he wins that, that all of our debt is going to be um, – he's going to not subsidize it. He's going to um, reconfigure – and now I sound stupid. He's <laughs> Sorry, I'd take your time. Figure it out. There's, there's a thing called editing. Yeah, there we go. Um, but He said he's going to – I don't know, something about uh, reorganizing the debt. Which basically means he's going to go for for default, which means we go into an economic depression, and then he's going to go after the illegals. That scares the shit out of me. So we'll see. Yeah. If well, you know, if Trump becomes president, I will gladly move to Mexico. <laughs> default on the debt. Default. Okay, that's the word. Default on the debt. Yeah. And it's like, and we don't have to worry about running out of money because well, we print the stuff. Yeah. After that, he said that. After that, he said that. I remember that part, but I couldn't remember the word to help you out. I'm sorry. Plus, listening to you struggle was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I can't remember all the bullshit that I hear. Monkey one. <laughs> all right. All right, man. So uh, do you have any big shows coming up? or? Uh, yeah. Uh, Ralphie May, uh, if, I, uh, if he doesn't bring anybody with him which they said he's not so i'll open up for him um may 20th at the blind tiger with some really funny people um uh bob uh strava which just he came out with a a new uh cd good enough with stand-up records so i'm throwing a show with him uh but like yeah i put them all on my facebook i'm doing a, a bunch of little bar shows here and there but Rafi and may and bob strava are the, the two dudes that uh I'll be working with that are at least names. Okay, cool, Mac. What's that? Nothing. My son's talking in the back. Okay. All right. 
Um, do you have any advice for uh, comedians that are just getting started out? Would that involve a bunch of Vicodin? <laughs> um, I, quit. Just stop. Don't do it. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I told that over Mike. I went one of the basketball mics. I'm like, it was all com- comedians. And I go, how many people are audience members? And people started to clap. I was like, don't clap. Just raise your hands because it's sad to hear four people clap. And so they raised their hands. It's like, how many people are, are are doing comedy? And a bunch of people raised their hands. Like, oh, how many less than a year? And the same amount of people raised their hands. It's like, oh, y'all should just quit. Just stop. Like, you're never going to make it. You're never. <laughs> so I, like, I know I sound like a bitter asshole, but uh, yeah, just stop. Just don't do it. No, um, keep going. That's the only thing. Uh, just keep going. And when you think you're really, really good, know that you're not. Because uh, Godfrey told me this. God, And actually, Seinfeld told Godfrey this. Um, Godfrey told me, he goes, every year you're in comedy is like a year of age. So I've been doing it six years. So I'm six years old. So I'm barely learning how to put sentences together and be, get, barely becoming conscious of what I'm doing. So when you're do, doing 20 years, you're 20 years old. You've only been doing it uh, a, a year. You're barely learning how to crawl or maybe walk. So, um, yeah, just, just be, be humble. Um, and when, as far as advice goes about your material, just like whatever you think is funny is funny. The way I do it is, is, uh, if I laugh at my own joke, 80% of the time it's going to work. And the reason I say that is because I believe in the joke. I believe in the joke that much. And even if it doesn't work the first, second, for the first month it doesn't work, I believe in the joke so much that I will hammer it out to make that shit funny. Versus I think people would think this is funny. And then I tell a joke that I don't really like because I think that people might like it. And that that sucks. That don't don't do that. Be don't do what people think you're gonna like because it's not yeah, just do it. What you think is funny. Is it because it doesn't come across as sincere or like uh, real by doing jokes you think other people will like? Or First, yes, yes. I hate myself because I, I, I have bar jokes that I'll do because I know they kill or I know they do well. I won't say kill. I know they do well most of the time. And every time I do it, I feel like I die a little bit inside. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite for telling you not to do it, but... I don't like doing them versus jokes that I love that a lot of them are, are way out there and, but I love doing them. And the more and more I do them, the more and more comfortable I get with them, the more and more I believe them, the more and more the audience likes it. And that's the voice that that's going to make you different because I know dudes who, I mean, it's not always about funny, you know, a lot of it's who, you know, it's sad to say, but a lot of it's who, you know, so just worry more about being unique, being yourself and, and, and doing your jokes instead of thinking like, well, people people are talking about this or people like this now. So I guess I'll say this. And it's like, nah, man, you're just you're just another one of those dudes now. Like be yourself. OK. All right. Good advice there. Um, <clears throat> where do you grab your material from or grab inspiration for your material? A lot of it is life. A lot of it is. Something happens, and I just take that and I embellish. My my style of writing is uh, two two things I do. One is something will happen, and I'll take that subject, I'll go on stage, and I'll rant it out. 
and I'll record it and I'll go back and listen and I'll take the funny parts and then I'll go back and refine it and say it again and then just keep tweaking it like that, like an accordion, adding, taking away, adding, taking away. That's one way of doing it. But then sometimes in life, nothing happens. So what I do is I take a subject that I'm thinking about and I'll just write it out, not trying to be funny, but just write out. Uh, like just nonstop, my hands will not stop. Even if it's like, I don't know what to write on anybody anymore. I don't know. Uh, what am I going to write next? I don't know. What's the next word going to be? I don't know. And this is, I'm actually writing all those words. That's, That's what I was just going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, and then it just comes to me and I just keep writing and it goes off on a tangent. And then out of that five pages, I'll go back and I'll read the chicken scratch that I wrote and I'll get like two, two or three lines from that. And out of those two or three lines, I can create a joke. Okay, that's that's a very cool process. I haven't actually heard just the writing everything, that stream of thought, uh, pretty much. Even thinking, what am I going to write? What am I going to write? And writing that down. Yeah, you're ranting to yourself. The whole point is don't stop until your hand completely cramps and you can't <laughs> write anymore. And you go back and you look at that. And most of the time, you'll be able to pick something from those... Uh, three to five pages that you wrote down um, and then you take that subject and you go on stage I mean but that's how I work some people like I had a friend who's hilarious dude's one I started the same day as him dude's one funniest person in Texas uh, funniest person in South Texas finalist and funniest person in Austin uh, opened up for a bunch of people so dude he's headlining already been doing it the same time as me and dude's amazing and his writing process is I'm going to take this subject and I'm going to pound it out for three, four hours by myself in my head. And then once I get the perfect phrasing of it, I'm going to go on stage and say it. And if it works, I'm going to keep saying it. If it doesn't, I'm going to drop it. And so that's how he works. I can't work that way. I feel like okay. I'm trying to memorize what I'm saying versus being more fluid. Like his, 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 it depends who you are. He's more structured. So if, if the comedy show is going crazy and people are talking, he's not going to do that well. But if they're quiet and listening, dude will murder. Versus me, who his is very structured and and you can see the formula versus mine, which is more fluid. Which I'm not saying one is right, one is wrong. Uh, one is definitely right for TV. His is right for TV, uh, but mine I've noticed is more fluid. Uh, it's always changing. I never do the same. 15 minutes it's always something different so you don't do the same you don't do the same 15 minutes any night no it's always different and i'm not saying it's always different like i changed the joke i'm saying it's always different like i'll go on a tangent or i'll take a joke two or three jokes out and put another two or three jokes in uh i mean of course i have a core these five six jokes doesn't matter if i'm performing for children or performing for old people they're gonna work so i'm gonna say these jokes with the rest it's just whatever i feel like doing at the time and whatever i'm saying out of my mouth at the time okay all right i was like wow you come up with all new jokes for every set that is fucking impressive <laughs> uh <laughs> i was like uh... would be very impressive no 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 that's not what i'm saying i'm saying like um of course i go on a, on different tangents and then uh Sometimes I'll do, I'll just do a different, different order or different, uh, I'll, throw, I'll take out two or three jokes, put another two, three jokes in, which maybe it's hurting me. Maybe it's good. 
I don't know, but I I wanna I don't wanna be bored in my set. You know what I mean? If I feel like I'm doing like people have always told me like the 15 minutes has to be the same words, same timing, same thing every time, and I'm like nah, I don't like that. I like what Bill Hicks says. Bill Hicks says material is what you do when you can't think of anything funny, and so I've always I'm <laughs> that, and so. I, when I go on stage, I have my first joke that I might want to say, but I go usually go on stage and I'm like, I clear my mind and whatever comes out of my mouth is what comes out of my mouth. So if something's happening in the moment, I'm going to say that thing that's happening in the moment. Gotcha. I, I actually haven't done stand up for a while. I want to get back into doing it. But one of the exercises that uh, a comedian named Bruce J told me to do, he's actually been on the man show and stuff out in L.A. Uh, now he's from Iowa and back in Iowa. But he told me one day I was getting ready to go up for an open mic. He's like, give me your notes. I'm like, what? He's like, give me your notes. I'm like, why? Because I want you to go up on stage without any notes and just talk. Just talk about what comes to you, um, like play with, don't do any material unless you absolutely get stuck. So I went up there, went through, it actually went really well for doing that, you know, but it was a really cool experiment to do. Yeah. Well, cause comedy just turned very conversational. People don't want to feel like you're doing material. People want to feel like you're in the moment and, uh, and yeah, that definitely helps out. So once you, my, my thing watching uh, Godfrey, Godfrey, I don't know if you ever seen him live. Not live, but I, well, I've seen, I've seen some of his stand up, not in person though. Watch him live. It's a, it's a different, he's a different animal. Uh, Godfrey did, uh, uh, not to be jock right or anything, but he did a different hour every night. Every night it was a different hour when I opened up for him. And one thing that he taught me, there are two things that he taught me. One, soap the joke like dude kept saying like kept on with the ad lib until like it was only like maybe 20 people laughing he just kept on and on to ring that joke out and two i've seen godfrey so many times that i knew his material versus his ad living um and his and his uh ranting and so what i learned was it's the same pace and when I rant or ad lib, I'm very fast. I'm, I mean, you heard me talking on here. I just, da, 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 da. but when I'm doing my material, it's much more. So here's my pace and here's my joke. And, and so people kind of like you're reading it more, yeah. even though you're not. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to slow it down because everybody has told me you talk too fast. Slow it down. Like I've, by a, a bunch of comedians have told me that. So, I've done my material that way. Um, but my ad-libs have not changed because something pops in my mind and I'm like, say it, say it, say it. I, I can't hold it back. So I'm, I'm either going to have to learn how to slow down my, my pace and my ad-libbing or speed back up my material. But it has to be on the same pace because then people are going to be able to tell, oh, he's, he's in the moment right now or, oh, this is material, which it kind of hurts the performance. Do you really think it's that bad when people can tell that you're ad-libbing? Like, because like, yeah, people know like you have material, but like when they get that ad-lib, they might feel like, Oh dude, we're getting some special stuff. Not, you know, it's a reverse. It's not bad when they think you're ad-libbing. It's bad when they know you're doing material. Unless it, I mean, I'm a good writer. I'm that's, I think my, my, my weakest point. I, I feel 
not being cocky, but I feel like I have a great cadence. I feel like I'm a great ad-libber and my material's good because I'm a good writer, but I'm not a great writer. Maybe one day when I'm a great writer, then, then it'll be okay because people will be like, I know he's doing material, but it's hilarious. But nobody knows who the hell I am and I'm a good writer. I'm not a great writer. So I guess I haven't gotten to that point. But I do notice that if you can do it all on the same pace, it doesn't throw the audience off. So they're more likely to go along with the joke. Okay. Makes sense to me. Um, Well, it's getting close to that time where we should start uh, tying up loose ends on the show. Um, Time to ask you the question that I ask every guest that I have on the show. It goes along with the name of the show. How do you live uncontained? Meaning, how do you live uh, against society's standards or norms saying that you can't do something but going out and doing it anyway? And so how do you live uncontained, Josh? I live uncontained because uh, I'm a stay-at-home father who, do, who does stand-up all night. I threw away three sales careers. Um, I could have been a manager, managing multiple stores, for a Verizon retailer. I could have been managing uh, an area in new car sales for a Toyota dealership. Um, or I could have been uh, working as a uh, lobbyist in politics. And it was all, that's a sales career. And uh, those were all possibly well into the six figure jobs. And um, I would have hated myself. I would have really hated myself. So I was like, screw that. I'm going to go. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian in this saturated market of 2016 where they say stand-up is dying, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to take care of my kids and let my wife work. Well, she loves her job. So that's, that's yeah. being uh, uncontained, man. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing what I want to do. All right, great, man. Yeah, you got to be happy with what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, kill you just a little bit inside every day. Yeah. Um, if I didn't have the podcast, I may be in that same situation, you know, <laughs> but, uh, okay. Before we completely wrap things up, I uh, want to tell people how to get a hold of you, uh, but where you they can hear your podcast, daddy. No, <laughs> sure. Uh, you can hear me on iTunes at daddy. No, daddy. No, you can hear my iTunes. That's five O's estimation mark. Um, you can hear me on SoundCloud at Joshua Galassa. That's C A. B as in boy, A, Z, A. Uh, Funny Man Comedy Works. That's the thing I started back in 2010. Funny Man, that's one word, comedy works. And it's not just me. I put on comedy news, uh, stuff about free speech. So it's a mixture of different things. So I'm on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Facebook. All right. And uh, I'll get your, uh, I'll get the links to all that in the show notes so people can click on those and uh, go check out your, go check out your podcast and all the other things you have going on, Josh. Uh, thanks for uh, or talking to me today via this uh, World Wide Web. Lately, I've been having uh, my guests sign off the show for us here on Uncontained. Basically, all I need you to do is tell them until next time live uncontained say your name and throw in a little bit of uh your own flavor on it this is josh kawasa live uncontained and create your own reality i'd like to thank josh again for coming on the show today and 
after the show. I did do a little research on the super delegate situation, and uh, Josh was really close to being right. It says 79, it was like 1980s that the super delegates came about, and definitely definitely not the 1800s like the like the bum standing on the corner yelling and screaming and shaking his can at me told me that it happened don't trust a bum don't trust a bum yes or a homeless if you want to be politically correct about it it would mean a lot if you'd take the time to please rate review and share in itunes or your favorite pod player that'd be a huge help to me in getting the word out about this show thanks again for listening and all of josh's contact info and show links will be in the show notes so make sure you check those out check out daddy no with five o's and one exclamation point and until next time live uncontained